I just started like this past weekend and yesterday looking through them and on the Google Classroom, when kids hand an assignment, there is a feature to make comments. You can make comments right on there. So they appear like little speech bubbles. So that has been pretty good because I have noticed the kids who I have done that for, they've gone through and they've read some of the comments and made some of the changes or done some of the suggestions. So that's good. Again, Today I we bring like back for a, a third time Carmen Sinatra from Richmond Hill, Ontario. Carmen continues her chat with us about teaching during a pandemic face-to-face and online. By sticking around, you'll hear us discuss two big struggles. How to use portfolios for assessments instead of tests without drowning. And how to manage giving out feedback so you can still stay sane. This is another Where Are They Now Math Mentoring Moment episode where we talk with a member of the Math Moment Maker community who is working through struggles and together we brainstorm possible next steps and strategies to overcome them. John, are you ready to do this? As always, hit it! Welcome to the Making Math Moments That Matter podcast. I'm Kyle Pierce from tapintoteenminds.com. And I'm John Orr from MrOrrIsAGeek.com. We are two math teachers who, together... With you, the community of math moment makers worldwide who want to build and deliver math lessons that spark curiosity... Fuel sense-making... And ignite your teacher moves... Let's get ready for another jam-packed episode. But uh, first, we'd like to say thank you to all of you math moment makers from around the globe who have taken the time to share feedback by leaving us a review on Apple Podcasts. Yes, that's right. This week, we want to give a shout out to Math Martian who gave us a five-star rating and review that said, My weekly pick-me-up. I love this podcast. I listen to it each week. And when I start to get flustered with administration, paperwork, and hoops I have to jump through, it keeps me positive and focused on what's important. We can't thank Math Martian enough for taking the time out of your day to help grow the podcast through positive ratings and reviews. It means so much. And because Math Martian shared a screenshot of his review on social media, this Math Moment Maker has been entered into our rating and review contest for one of five copies of Peter Lillidal's new book, Building Thinking Classrooms in Mathematics Grades K-12. to Right. That is so awesome. And actually, in my own district, we are starting a book talk around this very same book. So clearly, it is near and dear to our hearts. So here's the details on how you can get in as well. Uh, step one, we're going to have you head over to Apple Podcasts and leave us a rating and review. If you're on a different platform and there is an opportunity for a rating and review, rock and roll. We'll take it as well. But I think it's really Apple Podcasts is uh, where you have that opportunity. Step two, take a screenshot of your review and share it on Twitter or Instagram mentioning at Make Math Moments or in our free private Facebook group, Math Moment Makers K-12. Awesome. And step three, this is the final one. And this is just to make it easy for us to find. You're going to hashtag it with MMM giveaway. So hashtag MMM giveaway. 
And that's it. You're in. Right now, we only get a handful of ratings and reviews each month. So uh, you being all math MoMA makers, you know your chances are really high of walking away with an awesome read with Peter Littledahl, our guest from episode 21 and 98, uh, his brand new book, Building Thinking Classrooms. That's right. We'll be giving away five copies of this awesome book. And uh, so far, as of this recording, we've only got 10 people in so far. So your chances are super high. Make sure you dive in and get in on this. But this rating and review contest giveaway will be ending on December 31st, 2020. If you're listening after December 31st, 2020, go ahead and leave us a rating review and follow the same process to be entered into our future giveaways. We will be having them run periodically. All right, enough from us, Math Moment Makers. Let's get on to this fantastic conversation with Carmen, part three. Hey there, Carmen. Welcome back to the Making Math Moments That Matter podcast. You know, I think uh, you are the most repeated guest we've had, being this is your third time chatting with us, and we are super pumped. I'm so honored. Three times. (laughs) The medal is coming in the mail. If folks haven't listened yet, she was first on episode 92 when we were kind of gearing up for teaching in the pandemic. We were coming up at the September. We weren't really in the classroom yet, and we were planning for it. We had a nice chat about what that looks like and how do we do the thinking classroom? How do we do group work? So if you haven't listened to 92, you might want to get back there and listen to the getting ready to go in the classroom. And mm-hmm. then we chatted on episode 102, which was Carmen had got into the classroom, but it was a kind of an online model. And I'll let her share what her model looks like in a few moments. But if you haven't listened to 102, get back there because we talked about how do we spark curiosity with abstract math concepts, especially in senior classes. We looked at all day math blocks and what are some benefits there. So it's a good chat in episode 102. But Carmen, welcome back. How are things going? And again, remind everybody here, you know, what you're teaching, where you're from, all those kind of normal things. Okay, yeah, things have been going pretty well. I'm at uh, Richmond Hill High School in Richmond Hill. And our system currently is that we have one live class in the morning, two and a half hours. And then we have the rest of our classes online in the afternoon. And the classes are, they're set for 50 minutes. But by the time kids come on and we get everything set up, it's probably closer to 40, 45 if we're lucky. So second time, no. Yeah. The first and the second time I think I chatted with you guys, I actually hadn't even had a live class yet because I happened to have period one was my prep period. But since then, I've had my grade nines for a two-week block in the morning. So they had me for two and a half hours every other day, uh, two different cohorts. And now I'm actually in the next block with um, my advanced functions group and they are coming in every other day. And my other two classes are in the afternoon online. So interesting. Such an interesting model. I know we had mentioned it last time, so we won't riff too much on the model. But now I'm wondering, like, as you already mentioned, I know John mentioned it, you just mentioned it the last time we spoke. And, and this is kind of one of the reasons why we wanted to get you on for a third time, uh, really, really close to those previous episodes was to kind of get a sense as to how that face-to-face experience is going. So now, from the sounds of things, when you're doing that face-to-face block, you've got two and a half hours in the morning, 
And then you've got two groups at 50 minutes each in the afternoon virtually. How is it going? We briefly chatted before hitting the record button. I said, you know, you were just about to go into the gauntlet. How (laughs) is it going? And are you bruised? Are you broken or are you like rocking and rolling? How's things going? At the beginning, I will say it was pretty overwhelming actually to go from three online classes then to having the one live for two and a half hours. It was a bit stressful and it's stressful in the fact that we're in the middle of a pandemic. You know, we're wearing face masks, we're wearing shields, we're cleaning constantly. And it was a bit stressful just knowing that you're there with the students and I had kids actually live in front of me. So it was, you have to be more careful of what you're doing and being mindful of their safety and your safety. So it took a little bit of getting used to. And then when things kind of settled down and feel like our school went through a little bit of growing pains in terms of how do we deal with when students are not feeling well, things like that. But it's really settled now, I feel. And it's been much more settled and calm about things and kids are getting used to it. I think at the beginning, there was a lot of wild eyes like, oh my gosh, how are we going to do this? What are we doing? And we're making do with how things are going. It's definitely tough, I think, no matter what your situation. And I think, you know, we've talked about this on previous episodes with you, how different everybody is you having to manage. Like I was just thinking about, I'm in the classroom all day with my students from 8 till 2.15 and the same class. And we do that every day for a week and then we flip-flop. We talked in the last episode about some of the silver linings of that, but also Mm -hmm. the struggles. And I can't imagine you having to do the two and a half hour block, so half a day, and then switching to manage online and having also to prepare not only your two and a half hour block, but also for that same day, all the work that the other classes are doing online when you're not there during the morning with them. So I think there's like so much much work going on. Yeah, Yeah, you've got a lot to manage Mm -hmm. and juggle. So I'm wondering in the midst of all of that, because I know that that poses a lot of struggles that we can get into here today, too. But would you be able to share like a success in the last couple of weeks since our last chat, even though we know that this is tough for everybody? I've definitely found that even going back to the building thinking classrooms, even when you are in the middle of trying to keep everybody safe, it still can be managed. And when it does happen, it's a great feeling. You know, I had my nine applieds, I had them up at the whiteboards and I had one student say, you know, my mom is really nervous about, you know, social distancing. And she said, but look, we're making it work, miss. We're six feet apart. But they were still, you know, she was at the whiteboard. She had her own marker. My classroom, thankfully, has a lot of whiteboards around the room. So there was a lot of room. And I had three of them in a group quite far apart, but yet they were still able to talk. I'm lucky in the fact that my nine applied class was very small. And so when they split them in two, I actually only had seven in one group and eight in the other. So it was great. And there was a day when we were doing area of composite figures. And I was just like, projected one on the screen. I said, here you go, try it out. And when that one group was finished, I said, show me another way. And they were really getting into it. It was really great to see. In that same class, I had a student who her English is not very good, recently come to Canada, paired her up with a girl who's very outgoing. And the two of them were pointing at things, not 
touching each other, but still, you know, pointing at things. And that visual really helped that student and the smiles coming out on their faces, even though they're below masks, you still see them. They're still there. So that was really, really great to see. And I'm trying to do the same thing with my grade 12s. Sometimes they're almost more reluctant and they still want to sit, but I'm still saying, no, no, let's get up. We can do this. You're old enough. You can be six feet apart, still standing. It's okay, right? And they're doing it. And some days are better than others to get them up. But I really think that I can't have them sitting for two and a half hours. Oh, goodness. Even back in the, I'm going to say the olden days when we used to teach 75 minute periods, right? Back then, that was even long. And we've mentioned it before on a previous episode. I've done a shadow day where I've gone and shadowed a class of students and did what they did. And I was like, oh my gosh, there's so much sitting. So imagine two and a half hours in the same room. But again, like the visual I got when you were describing your applied group, that a class of applied of students who are in an applied class, that small group size, though, must offer such an interesting dynamic from the perspective of being able to differentiate a little better and spend more time with students to be able to get some of that formative information. And again, that silver lining that sort of emerges from this in all the challenges. And again, I don't want to discount how difficult that must be where you're literally teaching all day long. And in John's case, it's all day long with the same group, but it's at least when you're planning that, I have to at least assume that it's like, at least you're like, it's the same class. So you don't feel like you're jumping all over the place. But when you have multiple classes going and multiple cohorts going, it's a very real, yeah, what a struggle. So, you know, I'm so happy for you. I'm happy to hear that you've got a success and some successes that, you know, you feel like you can reflect on. So tonight, let's not waste any more time. What can we dive into here now that you've been through, we'll say a few weeks of this face-to-face slash online model, what could we dig in? Like, what are some challenges or current hurdles that are, we'll call it the, you know, a good friend from the Ministry of Education here in Ontario, Jim Strachan always says, what's the pebble in your shoe right now? You know, that thing that's, it's like there, I'm getting through it, but eh, it'd be great if I could get rid of that pebble. Uh, What's the pebble for you? We are trying to implement portfolios in all of, um, well, all of my classes. I've got Probably about almost half of my math department is doing some kind of portfolio. So half of our classes, which I think is fantastic. And part of that just came out of the need because we've been told we're not going to have final exams. So we have to have something else. And I've been tossing around this idea and talk about the silver lining. I've been talking about this kind of idea for a little while because One of my colleagues does the Markless Classroom, and I do as well for my nines, and she often does conferencing. And we're like, how can we make this conferencing a little better? Well, this idea of digital portfolio, John, I saw it from you as well on Fresh Green, talked about it. So we're trying to implement this portfolio, and I'm finding a lot of good things, but kind of here to ask some advice. And probably one of the biggest things is kind of time management. (laughs) How do you manage all these portfolios from students in a way that I can get feedback to them in a reasonable amount of time? And how do I get them to put in what I want, I guess, to not have it be 
So I don't want to say shallow, but maybe that's the way. It's it's a bit of a, I have different standards. Obviously, nine applied is going to have a different standard than a, a 12 advanced, right? Functions. So, and I'm seeing lots of good things, but yeah, kind of here for advice, time management, and how do I get them to dig deep? Gotcha. Okay. So let's kind of dig deep a little bit on what this looks like for you. Cause I think when you say digital portfolios, that could mean lots of different things to lots of different people. So paint me a snapshot. I have a couple questions just to kind of like paint every listener right now a snapshot. But let's say in a traditional math class, a teacher might teach some lessons and then that's in a unit and then they would have a unit test. And so let's start there. Like, are you having tests still, quizzes still, or is everything just portfolio? Hey, Math Moment Makers, Kyle here. And I've got just a quick message specifically for our district level mathematics decision makers out there. Do you feel like you're spinning your wheels when making district-level goals for mathematics programming from kindergarten through grade 12? Setting new goals each year only to find little to no real shift in pedagogical practice or educator content knowledge across the district as a whole? Take a moment to book a short call with our team so we can learn more about your specific district and educator learning needs in mathematics so we can assist you in taking the first step of many in the right direction. Visit makemathmoments.com forward slash district to book a web call with our team today. We have a limited number of spots for districts just like yours, so don't wait head to makemathmoments.com forward slash district and grab a spot in our calendar now. We are not having tests, but we are having quizzes online and in the classroom. Okay. Yeah. And the decision behind that, we talked about it as a department. We have so few classes face-to-face with students. Really, when it comes down to it, because we have this rotation schedule, it amounts to having about, I think it's, I want to say nine to 10 of these two and a half hour classes for each course. Like, that's actually not that much. And, you know, if, if you're thinking about then filling that time with a test, let's say every time they're in, there's a two week it's just not reasonable. Yeah. If they're with you, you want to maximize that time and get as much thinking out from them so that you can see it and help them. The last thing you're going to want to do is say, hey, let's spend an hour and you just show me what you know on a piece of paper instead of actually demonstrate learn. Because you could do that online. Like you said, it does seem reasonable for you to have, say, a quiz online. Okay. Let's keep going with what a portfolio kind of looks like. So timing-wise, Like, are you scheduling portfolios? Like, why don't you pretend we're your students and then you explain this to us? So what we did was one of my colleagues was working as a consultant last year and she developed some of these materials. They've made a Google slide document, I guess. And within there, we have a template. And so what we've done is we've listed out the expectations for the unit. For the grade 12s, it was almost verbatim from the curriculum documents. For the grade 9s, I simplified it and 
put in some like I can statements. So I have that on there. And then what we've done is we've highlighted about, I think for the grade 12s, I highlighted three of them. And I said, I want you to show me evidence of your learning for these three, and then pick one more of your choosing. And then we showed them, we had a number of blank templates of how you could show us your learning. So you could upload a video of you describing your solution. One of the templates that I really liked was one where it said, this is what I used to think, and this is what I think now. And you could put in some information about a topic and how you misunderstood it, and now you understand it. So that's what we've showed all of the students. We actually went through, I took some time in class to explain it. We actually have like a little explanation sheet for like, here's some instructions, kind of how you're going to do it. And on the Google Classroom, I made an assignment and I made a copy for each kid so that they have their blank copy. And so we just finished for the grade 12s. They did their unit one polynomial functions and I've started to look through them. And my grade nines takes a little bit more time with them to kind of explain how it's going to work. With the grade nines, I have a tracking sheet for those guys for their marks. It's not really marks. It's a markless system. And I've showed them the exact same kind of expectation sheet. Like it has the expectations listed. And then I've said, if you see... X's on certain areas, those are areas that you're going to need to work on and you're going to need to show me. So those are the ones I want you to show me. So I'm guiding them a lot more than I would my grade 12s. Does that kind of help explain how I've yeah, done it? No, yeah, no, definitely, definitely. And I'm picturing this, first of all, it sounds super proactive, especially given the situation. Now, pre-COVID, I've been talking about trying to encourage some teachers in my district, especially our high school teachers to start at least considering, not necessarily for them to throw away tests or anything like that. They can still do some of that work as well, but really to try to use portfolios as a way to truly get a sense of what students are, you know, where they are and where the assets are. So the things kids are bringing with them and then some of the things that maybe they're struggling with. And it sounds like you've got yourself set up in a really awesome way, especially digitally using Google Slides. For those who have never used Google Slides, there's like collaborative features, just like a Google Doc. So I'm hoping we can dive more into that as well. Now, before we do, do you have like certain times throughout the day? Is this like something you want your students doing daily? Is it weekly? Is it sort of like this is on them to fit in at some point independently? What's your take on that if you were to give us a sense as to how that's operating? Mm -hmm. For the grade 12s and even for the grade 9s, my intention was to do it by unit. So now that we've finished the polynomials unit, we've said, okay, now we're giving you a quote-unquote due date. And I say that because we did tell them we are not going to attach a mark to it just yet. And the only time that we're going to attach a mark to it is at midterm and at final. And part of that was just for management from a teacher point of view, because I don't want to have to have another thing that I need to put a mark to every unit. It takes a lot of time. So that was one of the reasonings behind that. And the other one is simply because if this is a portfolio, it's supposed to be more of an ongoing 
assessment of their learning. I don't want to stop, hey, I'm going to give you a number now. Right, stop, close the door on it, you right, know, and say exactly. this is over when there's maybe more learning to be done. Exactly. So I want to have it being much more fluid, I guess, so that they can constantly be working on it. So part of the issue is, of course, you have some students who oh, give me feedback on this, miss. Give me feedback on this. I'm like, oh my gosh, I don't have time for feedback all that much. What have I done to myself? What have I done, you know? Yeah. Yeah. So yeah, that's kind of where I'm struggling with right now. I think with the grade nines, part of their difficulty is just sometimes getting used to using Google Slides. That's It's another layer. But when they were in the classroom, I introduced it and kind of made sure I had one class where I dedicated almost like an hour of just let's work on the portfolio. Let's put a picture of your work up and let me show you how to do it. It's definitely for nines and any student really who has never used the tool the way you want them to use the tool. There's definitely a training process. And I think everybody listening right now is nodding their heads because they all went yep. through this yep. back in you know <laughs> March to June and are still mm-hmm. doing it and are still retraining kids to write emails and to use Google Slides and Google Classroom and Desmos and all and of those things. Yeah, yeah, there's a lot of things that... You think, you know, we all say kids are digital natives, but they don't know how to use digital tools for school. Mm -hmm. We have to show them what we want them to use it for and how they can use it and show them the power of those tools. So it sounds like you've got some great setup here on the portfolio. It makes sense that ongoing learning is useful. That's what I use in my class is making it clear to students that just because we put a mark on it at midterm doesn't mean that that's your final mark or that means it's locked in stone at that point. And it sounds like you've got your portfolio laid out by what Kyle and I called them learning goals for a long time, which are just standards. And it's great that they're laid out like that because kids can see them. And then something that we've often done is said they're open all year. And just because you showed evidence back in September on that particular learning goal from that unit, it doesn't mean that you can't go and contribute to it later on and show new learning and new evidence because we want those it to be fluid. We want it to be like by the end of the course, you're supposed to demonstrate this understanding, not say by the middle of September. I guess it depends on for some school districts, middle of September is the end of the course. But uh, <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> uh, I, we just recently saw, I think some schools, I'm mm-hmm. sidetracking now. The but Octomester. Yeah, the yes, Octomester, yes. they're over already. You know, I it's, know. It's, I, uh, my, my niece is in that system and yeah, yeah she just finished her month and a half, whatever month yeah. long English class. Yeah. Yeah. So I guess the real struggle I feel you've stated before here is you want them to use the portfolios. They make a lot of sense for you and your team. However, when a student wants to know how they're doing, you're saying, I haven't even looked at the portfolio. I can't figure out a good way to give you feedback on that written or verbal or I don't even know how it looks, but I guess what is your plan right now to do it? And then maybe we can figure out ways to make it more manageable. Mm -hmm. I just started like this past weekend and yesterday looking through them and on the Google Classroom, when kids hand an assignment, there is a feature to make comments. You can make comments right on there. So they appear like little speech bubbles. So 
I've been doing that. And that I find has been really good. I do have to tell the students, I believe you have to open up your file in another window to see the comments. So I'm not sure. Sometimes they say, I don't see anything. And that could be a little frustrating. But that has been pretty good because I have noticed the kids who I have done that for, they've gone through and they've read some of the comments and made some of the changes or done some of the suggestions. So that's good. Again, I just feel like I've got to pair it back where I'm not giving them like too much detail or I'm going to be spending all of my time making lots of comments. Yeah. So that's what I've been doing right now. And it's fine because on the Google Classroom, once they hit return to me, once they hit submit, I can make some comments and then I can return it back to them. And then we can keep going back and forth. Hey there, Math Moment Makers. Are you a dedicated listener? Like I'm talking, have you been listening for a couple of months, maybe even a couple of years? Well, if you haven't taken a moment to leave us a rating and review on your favorite podcast platform, it would mean so much to us. It'll take you under one minute uh, so that you can help more educators see and experience the Making Math Moments That Matter podcast. Uh, do us this huge solid. Uh, we thank you from the bottom of our hearts. And uh, here is today's episode. Nice. So I think obviously much of this portfolio or at least parts of this portfolio, you're probably going to be receiving digitally and having a look at and so forth on your own time. It sounds like in these weeks that you're face to face because there's really no prep time happening there and you want your feedback to be timely. So it's not like you're going to wait until you get back to that week where your prep is back or whatever it might be. Right. So, I mean, that creates a struggle for obvious reasons. My wonder is, is there any opportunities? Is there any way throughout, if you were to visualize like your two and a half hour face-to-face block, do you see with, especially like your smaller class sizes, like your grade nine applied class, is there an opportunity for you to be able to do, I heard you say conferencing was something that your colleague had been doing a lot of, and it sounds like you're either doing or interested in doing. Is there any opportunities there for you to maybe, if let's say I've got this class size of seven or even in your advanced functions, maybe it's 15 because it's cohorted, to be able to like... In every single face-to-face day, I try to pull three students and have them essentially take me through their portfolio and to try to at least get some of that, maybe your head wrapped around some of the work that they're doing, or maybe it's even observing them do it as they're doing it in some of that face-to-face environment. What does that look like or sound like to you and what sort of problems might that maybe introduce if you were to try to take something on like that? I think that that could definitely help. (laughs) I'm just thinking because it would probably save me some time in typing. (laughs) If I could, like you said, just pull maybe, I mean, really, if I pulled three of them aside, then it would take me five classes to get through everybody, which is about exactly this time I have with them. (laughs) So it could work. It could work. In fact, my colleague and I were thinking, and I could just call them up verbally, like we could, you know, as long as I got my face shield on, and they're they're standing beside me, I could easily call it up on my screen, and we could go through it together. And I could make comments 
verbally and often verbally helps a lot more too. Sometimes you're typing and typing and typing and you're thinking to yourself, wow, I could have just, it's like when you're texting somebody, I'm texting a long text, I could just call you, (laughs) right? So same thing. Yeah, I think that that could definitely work with the 12s. I definitely see that working because they can be very independent workers. So I wouldn't have to worry about classroom management or anything. And I feel like as well, my colleague and I were talking about this just today. We've taken out test days. We've taken out a lot of the review days that we may have dedicated before a test. We've taken out some of those. And we were actually looking at our timing and we're thinking, you know, I think we're doing okay for timing. And maybe we need to take a pause. And this could be a really good opportunity to like, what can we do in a pause rather than just saying, hey, here's a review period, guys. Right. Your portfolio and the way you're approaching it, obviously, this is a very different situation than when John and I first started exploring portfolios. And we were doing, it sounds like a lot of the same thinking you were doing, like trying to dabble with this idea and just really trying to experiment on what is going to work. How can I do this without completely losing my mind or my life, you know, <laughs> like uh, in terms of a time commitment and something for us that we eventually did. And, and this was also when we started experimenting with spiraling curriculum content and breaking free from this rigid unit sort of approach to teaching everything was that we realized that we were doing the review in the past as a means to essentially make kids re-familiarize them with something that they didn't really understand, right? It was just to get them through it. So it was like a reteaching of a unit worth of content. And then we would do it again near exams. We'd go back through the entire course and it was like nothing had ever happened throughout the school year. And it made us realize that we were essentially pulling the wool over our own eyes. So we were essentially kind of helping students to get through, quote unquote, get through these assessments that we had created or these evaluations we had created. And it wasn't a true representation of what they knew. Whereas when we went to this portfolio, things got a lot more clear to us on what students needed, like individual students needed. And I also wonder too, you know, you're saying like, maybe if we're face to face, I might be able to pull a couple students or almost make yourself a schedule. And I wonder if we were to flip to the other side and let's say you're thinking about your online groups. And maybe there's something similar going on as well, where maybe it's like, okay, so each day I'm going to look at, and you have yourself like a cap of whatever that number is of these virtual class portfolios. Maybe it's two students a day, or maybe it's four, whatever's manageable where you can say, okay, I'm not going to allow this to pile up. And I think that's the part that gets us as teachers, whether it's portfolios or assignments or tests, or, you know, if you're an English teacher and it's essays, we let them pile up where they get almost out of control. And it's like haunting to try to dive into this huge task, this huge burden. Whereas if we were to kind of maintain this schedule where we say, all right, let's make a habit of this, that we're only going to do whatever that number is for you. I don't want to say the number, but if it's three students a day or whatever it is, it's like you check that off your list. You feel good that you're where you want to be and then you carry on. And it almost kind of forces you to like maximize or I guess set a maximum on 
how much you're going to do here because it's really easy for us to kind of lose control and just keep on feedbacking. And John, I know you've got some tips as well on like how you might even be able to maybe expedite or simplify some of that process as well. Because I heard Carmen, you say oftentimes there's like a lot of typing going on. And even then I've got to assume there's a communication breakdown along the way too, right? Where you're maybe not understanding what the student wrote or they're not understanding your feedback. Uh, John, like what are your thoughts on some of these ways that you've used? Yeah, so I haven't used the Google Slides as a portfolio yet, but I think I might migrate that way. I want to give it a shot because I think what you've set up here, everyone who's listening that Carmen shared with us what the Google slide looks like. It's really slick, lots of pre-made kind of templates. I really like the idea. But what I'm leaning towards in FreshGrade is where I've got my portfolio set up. And it's set up very similar to what you've got. We've got learning goals or standards and kids can upload evidence and pictures and and audio and video to their learning goals and it demonstrates their learning. And then also I provide them next steps in those learning goals, which I've preset up. So if you upload some work, but then you want to dive in further, I've got really just follow up problems to solve and then kids would solve them and then upload those solutions so I can see more consistency. So the learning goal pod, which I call them, which is really like a folder or a slide right on your Google slides just holds a lot of different ways they've met that learning goal. So it's a little less choice on my students end, whereas yours seem to be very like I can choose whatever I want to put on the learning goal. But to simplify a little bit, which I've found useful in FreshGrade is I can leave audio comment. So instead of me typing, it's easier for me just to explain it. And on FreshGrade, it's pretty simple. You just hit the record button and start going on your phone and it automatically gets synced to the kid's portfolio. However, I just looked on your portfolio and you can insert an audio file. So what I would do in that situation would be I'm looking at the kid's portfolio. I'm on a slide. I would just pull up my phone and use my voice notes and record, hey, I'm on, I see this, I think you're doing great here, but maybe on your next iteration or your next edition, can you please show how this moves into this or maybe try this problem or fix this idea? And then all all I would do is just drop it onto that slide. Just insert it right onto the slide. And like, I know that might be a little bit of monkeying around in the background, but I feel like when I type, now I'm not a big fan of typing for sure anyway in math class, but if I had to type, I have to think about it first anyway, and then start typing. Whereas I feel like a verbal comment can, you can just go. Yeah. Yeah. Especially in today's days, who cares how large that file is? It's all in the cloud kid's going to click on it and listen to it when they look at their slide again. So it's possible to do that and you can drop it into your, so you can just, I just went to insert and then there's an audio and then it just allows you to pick an audio file from your drive or you can upload it from your device. Okay, um, cool. So yeah. I found that that kind of streamlines thing. It just makes it a little quicker, but yeah. I think you're still in the sense of like you're commenting on their work. And I guess I sometimes wonder, it's like, how much feedback do they actually need? For example, in my class, it's like, I'll write comments on my students' work if it needs to be fixed. I know there's camps that say that we should always be commenting on everything and giving them the next step, even if it's like perfect. Whereas in my class, in a high school class, if it was a test and you would have given that question a perfect score on the test, normally you would have left a comment. You would have just wrote four out of four. 
Yeah. So when I see stuff like that in my portfolio, I actually still just go four to four or I reward it on fresh grade. You can choose colors instead of numbers, which is kind of cool. It keeps kids like thinking about growth instead of values of scores. And then uh, you could say like, oh, you've got color orange, which is, you know, great. But if it's not correct, that's when I want to be very specific with the feedback. So it kind of cuts also down on how much feedback and commenting I do, because if it's great and I got nothing actually for you to fix because it's great, then I don't. I just say, hey, you did it. You got your four out of four. And then we move on to something where you do need the help. So those are some tips. We've been chatting a lot, Kyle, and I will uh, let you kind of jump in here and share your thoughts. Oh, me? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Back to you. I, I kind of like the silence for a second. I was like, oh, this is kind of peaceful, you know? <laughs> yeah, those are some great thoughts. I will definitely try the audio comments. Sometimes, you know, we're reluctant to try new things because you think, oh, no, it's another techie thing to learn. But you know, a little bit of work up front could save you a lot of work at the end. So yeah, definitely. Yeah, I think I need to kind of cut back on the detail maybe of my comments because it's how much are kids reading and how much do they need to read? If I say a little bit, do I really need to say that much? Maybe that will help me as well. I like the setting up a number of kids to look at. Again, my colleague and I were talking about how the online class, I find so challenging still. The 50 minutes goes by so fast. And sometimes it's still talking into a void, like, okay, can I please have some feedback here? On the days when I do things like a jam board or something, it's much better. But it's also, we feel like we're go, go, go. There's zero time to ask questions from homework. And we haven't been. So I have my one class, my period four class. That I haven't even seen them yet. And there's just no time to ask for homework. So my colleague and I were saying, maybe we need to like build in a day once a week where we just say, all right, it's time for questions. Again, instead of doing that, maybe I can somehow make that a portfolio day, something like that. It's kind of got my wheels turning about how I can make use of a day like that. I guess the one caveat or one challenge here is is obviously time is definitely more crunch. But as you had mentioned, if you've removed, especially from the face-to-face -face experience, more formal tests, review days, those sorts of things. Also, too, I have to assume, you know, like school assemblies aren't getting in the way, sporting events, like extracurriculars, like all of these other things that constantly came Same up updates, during a regular. Days. Yeah, absolutely. So this idea of a portfolio day, like you're saying, that was something John and I were doing for quite some time. I know John's still doing it. I'm not in the classroom right now in my role, but John, I know, is doing his was weekly. Now, John, actually, I'm curious before I wanted to comment on one other thing, but John, like we haven't talked about this. Like, how are you doing your portfolio days now? Like that your full day? 
Yeah, we're so we're full day. So we still kind of break it up in blocks. I feel like it's good for the kids to also switch gears because we, you know, I divide my blocks up also. It's not like four blocks in a row on just so linear relations or trig. I try to keep the spiraling happening so that it feels like they're not in the same math class every day or all day. We'll do linear relations in the morning, but then we'll do measurement in the afternoon. So we'll do stuff like that. But anyway, we were just like Kyle said, spending one day a week on our portfolio days, or we call them growth days. And we would open up our fresh grade accounts or our portfolios, and we'd look at where we are on the learning goals. And we would pick a learning goal to work on and then do the assignments or the questions or the problems or pick something from the past that we had contributed to or even pick something that we struggled on and said, I struggled here, my next step is here. And then they would upload that to a a learning goal. And so we'd spend one full period doing that a week. And I was just thinking about your time. And I remember, Kyle, do you remember that when we started those, we thought we don't have time to spend one full day a week doing that. Totally. We thought we would not get through the curriculum if we did that. And we found that we actually saved a ton of time because we eliminated the review days. We were eliminating kind of test days because our quizzes and our assessments happened through the portfolio on those days. It was also great is there was so much reflection from the students happening on those days that it was like every week they got the review day, but they got to review whatever they wanted. It was very personalized and every kid was working on something different from their portfolio. So what does it look like now? It was Kyle's question and every four blocks is like four class days or four lessons. But so it's kind of like every day I should be doing it, but it didn't work out because we're going to kind of lose a little bit of time there. So I'm doing a portfolio block. So an hour every two days. So somewhere in like today, we did it in our third block, and then we'll do it again on Thursday. And after Friday, I won't see that group again for a week. And then they'll come back and we'll do it probably on Tuesday and Thursday or Monday and Wednesday, stuff like that. And John, I think too, like I didn't want to lose this because you had mentioned as well, just this idea of it almost saved us time in a number of ways. But what we tend to do as well was we started to give kids like a question or two on concepts that we actually haven't even explored mm-hmm. yet. Yeah. So it was kind so of like diagnostic, yeah. you know, That's we would kind of float something out there. And, and what it started to make us realize was something that, I mean, research has been telling us for a long time, but we just always in our minds made excuses as to why we couldn't do diagnostic assessments was time. So we would just kind of float in a question. It kind of worked in a couple ways because first of all, it kind of forced our students to be better problem solvers. Like they had to look at things and we tried to keep it low floor enough. Like we didn't use a bunch of language that we know they wouldn't have come across yet, but we'd try to at least start with the beginnings of a concept that maybe we haven't introduced yet, or maybe they may have never even seen before. But Based on the way the question was stated, it was almost like an early exploration into that idea. And oftentimes we were a bit shocked because especially the things like, you know, in the past, you'll hear teachers go like, well, we haven't done that yet. And in reality, kids have seen a lot of math throughout the years. Maybe we haven't done it yet this year, but they've done it in the past oftentimes, right? Like fractions is always especially one the elementary grade, teacher's that grade thing. nine program. Yeah. 
Right. Yeah. Like in elementary, they always say, oh, well, we haven't done fractions yet. And it's like, but kids have, they've been doing fractions since kindergarten. Yes. So like, what's the question we can ask that might be able to actually maybe even save us time from the perspective of like, I was planning to do this big lesson around this or this big activity or experiment or investigation or whatever it is. And then you realize it's like, oh, they actually already know a lot of this, I can maybe skip over this part and be able to like dive deeper into a different part. So I love that part about the growth days or the portfolio days. I think in doing so, you'll be kind of unlocking some key knowledge. The benefit as well with these portfolio days is that John and I would walk around our classes as kids were working and we would essentially be evaluating or at least feedbacking their portfolios as they went. So when we were talking about trying to like balance this out a little bit, it's like you're finding a way to use observation and conversation to help. And the final thing before we'll do a final takeaway and wrap this thing up was just this idea. You had mentioned it as well, Carmen, about sometimes we get carried away, right? Like we write too much. Our kids even reading it. How useful is this to take this time and dedicate that much time to this written feedback? Just keeping in mind that you can be reviewing a portfolio and you can make yourself like one point form comment that will make no sense to kids. But if it's to you and you go, today when I see that student, either online or face-to-face, I'm going to have this conversation, that might also really help you as well. So it's like point form, address, blah, blah, blah with Tony. And then, oh, okay, when I see Tony, I'm going to actually elaborate on this rather than me having to write it down. I think sometimes when we write things down, in our minds, we feel like we've done it, like we've done feedback. Whereas like when we say feedback or when we actually have that conversation, it's like we don't give it the same credit that it deserves when in reality, it's probably more useful than the written. So we'll turn that back to you. And any last thoughts on that? Any uh, takeaways today? And I guess really, how are you feeling after the conversation, I think, is one of the big pieces we're hoping to hear from you here before we wrap up. Mm -hmm. Um, Definitely feeling like I can make this more manageable and hoping that it will uh, help out some of my colleagues as well and that we can get this uh, portfolio going. I really feel strongly about the portfolio. Even the things that I've seen so far with my class really is interesting. You can really tell who really gets the topics and who's just being a little bit superficial. And so I really want to get into this idea of growth with the kids. And I'm excited to try some of these things like leaving audio feedback. I think that it can be manageable. I can try that out. And yeah, there's ways to go here. I can even start tomorrow when I I see my kids. So that's going to be great. Yeah. We do too. And I think it's going to be a game changer in your class. So uh, Carmen, we want to uh, thank you one more time being the third time we've chatted with you here on the podcast. We want to definitely thank you for joining us and sharing your insights and being brave enough to talk about your classroom and your struggles. So uh, uh, hats off to you, but uh, thanks so much. And uh, we look forward to, I guess, I'm sure chatting with you in the future, right, Kyle? Yeah, absolutely. 
Uh, well, we're wishing you uh, nothing but the best here. It sounds like, honestly, you are making the best out of a difficult situation. So I'm sure everyone who's listening in the Math Moment Maker community, those who are feeling stress and anxiety and just the challenges that everyone's facing, I'm hoping that through this conversation, they're hearing those silver linings and hopefully it's helping everybody take a step in the right direction. Yeah, we're everybody's doing their best, doing what we can. We take one day at a time and you know, learn from our mistakes and move on and try to make things better continuously with your help and with that community that's out there. It's fantastic. Thanks so much, Carmen. We'll talk to you soon. Okay. As always, both John and I learned so much from these Math Mentoring Moment episodes, and in particular, we're really enjoying bringing Carmen on with how relevant her journey has been through this crazy, crazy experience we've been going through in distance learning. Uh, but let's be honest here, in order to ensure that we hang on to this new learning so it doesn't wash away like footprints in the sand, we must reflect on what we've learned. An excellent way to ensure this learning sticks is to reflect and create a plan for you, for yourself, to take action on something you've learned here today. And a great way to hold yourself accountable is to write it down or even better yet, share it with someone. Uh, it could be your partner, it could be colleagues at your school or with a member of the Math Mobile Maker community by commenting on the show notes page, tagging at Make Math Moments on social media or in our free private Facebook group, Math Moment Makers K-12. Now, since we've discussed so much about assessment throughout this episode, uh, through portfolios and other methods, uh, we wanted to make sure you knew about a course inside the Make Math Moments Academy, and it's called Assessment for Growth. That's right. If you want to take a deep dive into assessment, get started by grabbing a month of membership for free by visiting makemathmoments.com forward slash academy. Yes, that's makemathmoments.com forward slash academy. And uh, just so you know, you could probably get through all mm -hmm. of that material within that month. So go I'm check sure it you out, would. I'm sure you dive would. in and enjoy the learning. Are you interested in joining us for an upcoming Math Mentoring Moment episode like this one here with Carmen, uh, where you too can share a big math class struggle? You can apply over at makemathmoments.com forward slash mentor. That's makemathmoments.com forward slash mentor. Show notes and links to resources from this episode, as well as full transcripts that are downloadable, can be found at makemathmoments.com forward slash episode. 105. Holy smokes, we are over 100 episodes. Again, makemathmoments.com forward slash episode 105. Well, my friends, until next time, I'm Kyle Pierce. And I'm John Orr. High fives for us. And high five for you. <laughs> If you are a district leader of mathematics, a math coach, a math curriculum coordinator, a superintendent and principal, getting teacher buy-in for effective math teaching practice is top of mind. And plans only go so far. You can make you know detailed plans and, and carefully designed goals with clear objectives and key results that are measurable. But that can feel like it all falls flat if we can't engage our teachers in the work working with teachers who do not 
want to change their teaching practices is one of the most frustrating and challenging parts of our job. How do I help teachers engage in effective teaching practices when they keep pushing us away? If you can't reach the tipping point in mass adoption of effective mathematics teaching strategies, then it's it's likely we won't see student improvement in mathematics. We have a free training uh, and accompanying workbook for leaders of mathematics like you. Uh, the, math, the Make Math Moments team, myself, John, and Kyle, walk you through our four-stage process uh, we use with district partners to create clear, measurable, sustainable PD action plans, but more specifically on how to also get teacher buy-in so that it drives student engagement. So step one, register for this free training, get your planning workbook, um, and then watch the training. Schedule some time on your calendar so you can watch it and go through the workbook. After completing that workbook, you're going to have a clear, measurable vision, action plan for mathematics to get more teacher buy-in, but also be able to hit your goals for the 2024-2025 school year. So head on over to makemathmoments.com forward slash four stages to start this free training.